Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Recently, I've been very highly introspective, quiet before the Lord, far more diligent in my rumination, meditation processes, thinking and over the words of the Lord, etc. And uh, I really need to upgrade my eyes. Even right now, I see blurs as I look at you. I can't see definition. And the Lord said to me, your eyes sight is waning in the natural, but you need to sharpen in the, in the spiritual, Okay. And I've been really praying that prayer more than ever before. Help me to see things. Pastor Thamo, when he did Mantles of Changing Season last week in, Tham, in, in Valcom, said this, that uh, the more you see in the Spirit, you have whatever you see. The moment a thing is released to you or revealed to you, it's the moment you possess it. Okay? And so you can walk into whatever revelation you've attained. In fact, he said that's the process. Your seeing of it is the possession of it. You'll never possess it until you see it. So I'm saying my prayer is, Lord, help me to see. You see, no man or no power on earth can take away from a man who has beheld something and who starts to walk in the power of the revelation of that thing. Nobody can take away from you what you see. So sight determines behavior. As you see, so you will operate the Bible says we don't walk by sight, natural sight, but we walk by faith. And faith is sight into the unseen realm, right? Into the spiritual realm. So I pray that our, our sight uh, would grow. That's why those ten, ten spies said, um, we are like grasshoppers in their sight, so are we in our sight, right? Or rather, the other way around, we are grasshoppers in our sight, they said. So are we grasshoppers in? Right? The enemy did not view them as grasshoppers. The first perception was of themselves as grasshoppers. And their perception of themselves became what they thought would be the enemy's perception of them. Right? And a neutralized possession. Caleb had a different spirit. He said, firstly, there are signs here that what God prophetically promised us are there. He's, the first thing Caleb said, he says, the land is flowing with milk and honey. And he says, just like the Lord God said. And all he needed was one sign that proves a prophecy. And he said, let's go up now. Everyone say now. Yeah. Caleb said, let's do it right away. Not another meeting. Not another committee meeting. Not another planning meeting. Let's go right now. Go up, go in and possess the land that the Lord God has sworn to give us and to our descendants for ever that's a different spirit and Caleb had a different spirit he was firmly convinced what God said he would do he would do and I said this to you last week Pastor Thamo prayed a prayer of impartation on us last week that the spirit of Caleb would rest upon us the spirit a different spirit you know what the Bible says about Caleb God's testimony of him he wholly followed me it says it three times he wholly followed me. Or he followed me come. 
completely. I want to encourage the church, follow God wholly. If you're not going to do this thing holistically, you might as well not do it at all. If you're not going to give your all, don't give your part. God doesn't want your part. He wants your whole. Okay? If you're not going to be sold out and obey at a tremendous sacrifice, even to your death, as I've taught you. Like Esther said, if I obey, if I perish, I perish. But I am going to obey. I will not uh, employ methodologies of disobedience to entrench my survival. But I would rather die in the process of obeying God than to maintain survival, but yet disobeying. I would go to the king. If I die, I die. But I would rather die oh, obeying God. Amen. And then that series, I encouraged you to be totally sold out to the Lord in your expressions of obedience unto, unto death. If you're going to tithe, tithe. If you're not going to tithe, don't tithe. But don't be sporadic or don't. Do you know if you don't tithe the full 10% is not a tithe? Tithe strictly is 10%. Right? So um, if you're going to give offerings of first fruits, then do it with your whole heart. I sent you the text Isaiah 119. Remember? Uh, two days ago or so. Where the Lord, I just woke up with that thought. You know, I remember memorizing this text in my youth. And at that morning, it was yesterday or the day before, God reminded me about it. That if you are, well, this, 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 this version says, if you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But the New King James or the King James says, if you are willing and obedient. You see, many people obey, but you're obedient. But your obedience is simply political correctness. Because you want to be seen to be compliant. But your heart is not in it. You've got to have a willingness that prompts obedience. Right? There's two dynamics. The blessing to those that will eat the good of the land or the best of the land comes to those who are of a willing heart. Okay? So um, I developed a whole, a whole bunch of thoughts around that which I want to share later when we do a financial conference because it's all relative to attaining the good of the land, getting to my land, getting to my breakthrough, getting to my prosperity. And that's why the Bible says, when you give, do not give grudgingly, nor of necessity. For God loveth a, a cheerful giver. So I want you to remember this verse, if you are willing and obedient. Being obedient is not good enough. It must be Willing obedience. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. So nobody should do anything because you are coerced or you feel pressured into doing anything. The moment you obey by virtue of that motivation, you lose the attendant blessing. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Willing obedience is what God wants. What I want to speak about is, I hope I get to it, I really want to speak about the impartations of grace through pronouncements. But, and I, I prepared the note last week, but since last week the note from two pages has now extended to about 16 pages. So, but I need to build up to that point. I just felt the wisdom of the Lord this week as I thought about how should I do this, God. And so I hope to get there. Let me just start and trust God by faith. Amen. We have an hour. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to concentrate. Some of these things might be repetition, but it is biblical methodology to repeat a thing until the thing is entrenched. Peter said in his own words, 1 Peter 1.12, he says, I will not be negligent to put you into remembrance of the things I have said previously 
before. So that you, he said, might be established in the present truth. You've got to be established in present truth. So long as I am in this tent. He was talking about his body, his tent. He says, so long as I am in this body, I will not be negligent as an apostle to put you in remembrance of these things. And he qualifies. He says, even though I have previously said them to you. But he says, I'm only repeating this. Because I don't see you established in the truth of what I previously taught. So there will always be a need to repeat things until the whole community of the saints of God are established. Everyone say established. I don't want my spiritual father to ever speak to me about tithes, offerings, first fruits. As far as I know and he knows, I'm established in that. Right? There are other areas in my life he might have to address as the occasion permits. But the... As we, as we teach things, as he releases things, I must secure obedience in that. So there's no need to address me in those areas. Tell you never be established in present truth. Right? The thing now that I'm so concerned, I was, I'm very, I was, you know, I love to cover issues, cover topics in my teachings, and a range of things. You can cover things in breadth, but not in depth. You're covering a lot. But it hasn't anchored. It hasn't materialized. The people aren't established in the present truth. And you only know that you are established in present truth when you are actively obeying that principle. Watch. Not now and then. Not sporadically. But it's a consistent, permanent feature of your life. Right? You've known that you've mastered obedience. When through recurrent, repetitive offenses, you forgive reflexively without a thought. Not losing one night's sleep over the issue. Then you know you're mastering or being mastering how to handle offenses. So I want to speak now on, again, the impartation of grace. We are continuing the grace series. I want to speak on the matter of impartation. Everyone say impartation. And we've covered a lot of these things in various ways. And you will see in the series. Now the word for impart in the greek is meta didomai everyone say meta then say didomai the prefix meta means with everyone say with and it, in the greek it implies association so if i'm with andy it means there's a level of proximity and association that is the essence of that prefix in the greek meta so the Greek word for impart is meta didomai. That first part is very important because it implies being with or associating with someone. Didomai means to give. Didomai means to, to give. So somebody is going to give me something or I'm going to get as the recipient some blessing, some impartation from another who is going to give it to me, but the proviso is, the requirement is, I must be with them. The proviso is, I must associate. I must be in proximity to. I must be close enough with an environment in which I can receive the things that the person requires or desires to give me. Peter and John went to pray in Acts 3. They saw the lame man at the gate, beautiful. Then the Bible says, he, Peter, he looked upon Peter and John and says, 
uh, give me arms. Peter, the Bible says, fixing his. You know, I love this. Dr. Seki calls it the grace look. Fixing his eyes on him. You know, I love this. Peter gave the guy a stare. He says, Peter, fixing his eyes on him, said, look on us. Look, you, I'm looking to you, but I need you to look to me. Many times, grace, those designed to bless you, have a look towards you. But how is your look towards them? There must be a reciprocal, responsive disposition of, remember I spoke to you about tog, and open heart to receive. Have you turned? If this guy just glanced away, Peter would have said, no, bro, I said, look, you, you're, if you are desperate enough, you will stare at me. You will gaze like Elisha never left Elijah out of his sight. There's this whole issue of keeping track and following closely, right? How desperate are we for impartation? And I've realized grace is everywhere, freely available. But the transmission or the reception is lacking. Not because of the deficiency of grace. But a lot of the times there is deficiencies in potential recipients who just flagrantly disregard certain principles so that grace present passes by and does not settle. So if there's grace available, I've determined I want it. I'm going to grab a hold of it with all of my heart, with all of my might. I told you in the grace series up to now, grace is going to be the thing that makes you successful. You are going to be successful because of your grace content. You're going to thrive in life because of the measure of grace you have. So if you are not succeeding, things aren't working, blessings aren't flowing, stop and do some introspection. And last week I said the problem is definitely not with God. His word cannot lie. So if a thing is not working, what must I do? I must look here and say, Lord, is there perhaps certain principles? I am, I am not, because the sovereignty of God requires the cooperation of men for his principles to work. So you know, there's that verse at Amos, but it's like a contradiction of terms. The sovereign Lord does nothing. How can the sovereign Lord do nothing? Unless, right? Unless what? Unless there's a human who is prophetic that's got the capacity prophetically to understand and receive the intentions of God. Otherwise, the intended plans of God remain suspended. God says, I am sovereign. I can do what I want to, when I want to, without conferring with anyone. But my sovereignty is bound up with a principle by which I partner with men to get things done on the earth. So it says, the sovereign Lord does nothing unless he first reveals his secrets to his Servants, the, the prophets. Okay? So God requires your cooperation. Meta with association. Didomai, I want to give you something. Want to impart something to you. Want to give you something. Now, publicly, the following things are impartable. Can be given from one to Another blessings can be impartable to you. Now, please, when I say impartable, and throughout this teaching, probably next week, 
I'm talking about God using human agency, human representation, in and through which he desires to filter his blessings through to you. Many people struggle with this principle. We could illustrate it variously throughout, throughout the scriptures. It's called the corporeal principle. Corporeal. I explained this to you before, but I want to emphasize it again. Everyone say corporeal. Corporeality theologically simply means this. If you get a textbook on systematic theology or whichever and you look up the definition, it literally means this. That God is spirit, but God who is spirit requires a human body in and through which to work so he can express both two things, his nature and his will in a given context. Without that human body, the, the, the Lord who is sovereign is literally hamstrung. But what does 10 spies say? No. God says, I'm outvoted. 10 spies says, we can't, we can't. Caleb and Joshua says, let's go. God is literally bound by the lack of human cooperation with his will. And he has to suspend the program until a generation arises. 40 years later, he kills all of those adults. Literally kill them off. I'll make you wonderful. 40 years, that your children... The next generation will rise up with a, a configuration of spirit uh, agreeable enough to my intent, and they will possess the land. Think about it. Only Joshua and Caleb, two of the original that left Egypt, saw the land and went in. God wiped out a whole generation, right? God is saying, if, if that level of human cooperation does not cooperate with my intent, I'll take them off the scene, but there's nothing that's going to threaten my will from being done. Let me just say, God's will will be done with or without you. It's going to be done, guaranteed. God is simply offering you the privilege of participating. I know it's a wonderful thing, eh? I don't want to abort or defer my destiny any, any longer. Right? Come on, church. Is that you? don't want to abort my destiny any longer, but I want to attain it. So God needs a body, needs persons, needs a man to stand in the gap, as he would constantly say in the Old Testament. Right? But that person must become dead, a corpse, corporeality. The person must become dead so God can become real in the corpse. This is an easy way to remember it. What is corporeality? God requires a human dead unto himself, dead to his own ambition, dead to his own inclination, Dead to him, flesh, dead to what he wants to, and say, not my will, but your will be done at any cost, God. Thy will be done. I, I, I will do it. Thy will be done. I want to encourage you, let everything you touch and do be prompted by grace. And let the fruit thereof communicate grace to everyone that is a recipient to all of your bountiful gifts. Even if it's a picture and people look at it and say, wow, we, we're getting something from this. Amen. So grace is impartable. Blessings. Everyone say blessings. So what things are important? Say blessings are impartable. Right? And I'll, I'll go through some of the details of this later. Grace in its variegated expressions is impartable. Uh, it can be given from one person to another. Paul in Ephesians 3 verse 2 says, If undoubtedly you have heard of the grace of God given to me for, for you. Right now, there's a quantum of grace that I possess 
that is intended with you in mind as its recipients. You must understand that. That although you have a personal relationship with God, and we all are God's sons, we stand on equal footing before God. But God is a God of order and of protocol. And He's vested certain quantums and qualities of His grace in specific gifted ministries and, and spiritual fathers as the conduit in and through which He will communicate that grace to be received by others. Otherwise, we must scratch out Paul's statement from Ephesians 3.2. He says, you have heard of grace given to me for you. He is saying, Ephesians, you can't access this grace outside of accessing me. It's given to me for you. You want that? Learn to engage me, he is saying. Okay? Learn to. And I'll show you a bunch of scriptures in a moment. Um, peace is impartable. I'll show you just now. When we get to it, probably by next week. Mercy is impartable. Spiritual gifts are impartable. You want gifts from God, it can be given to you via God's agency in human form to represent Him. Right? I can pray for you and impart a spiritual gift to you. Healing is impartable. You are sick, we can pray for you and you can get healed. Life is impartable. You know that? Even life is impartable. Renee quoted a beautiful scripture yesterday from 1 Corinthians 15, where it says the first Adam became a living soul, but the last Adam, which is Jesus, became what? A, a life-giving spirit. The first man, Adam, functioned from the domain of the fallenness of his soul and could not impart life. The last Adam, Jesus, functioned from the domain of a regenerated, enriched spirit. And everything, the very principle of spirit is life. Because when you die, James says, the body without the spirit is dead. So what is the principle of life? It's the spirit in you that is the principle of life. So from the vantage point of my spirit, I can give life. But I must not be soul dominated. I must be spirit dominated. Spirit must prevail. Spirit must be the predominant thing, not my soul. My soul is, 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 is uh, prone to offense. It's prone to anger, it's prone to anxiety, prone to depression, prone to be downcast, prone to be discouraged. So you walk in a room like that, and God says, I expect you now by your words, according to Colossians 4, 6, Ephesians 4, 29, it says, by our words we can impart grace. And if grace is the compositional makeup of spirit, and if life is in spirit, life is in grace. Yeah? So when you impart grace, what are you imparting? Life, John 1, his life was the light of men. John 1 says his life was the light of men. What was in that life? John says we beheld him full of what? Grace and truth. So if life is full of grace and if grace is the composition of spirit and the spirit is the principle of life, every time I speak, the Bible says I impart grace. It means my speech can impart life. Every time I open my mouth, what should I be doing? Come on, talk to me. Every time I open my mouth, what should I be imparting? Let me just say this. You are always imparting. Whatever you do, whatever you say, you're always giving stuff. There's an emanation. There's a, a movement out from you to the realm. Right? But you must ensure I'm not speaking from the negativity of my soul. I'm speaking 
from the grace enriched position of my spirit. That's why Jesus could stand before um, Lazarus' tomb. Remember, what does the Bible say? Where was he moved? And Jesus moved where? Not in soul. Because his soul was grieving. He loved Lazarus. Remember the John eleven thirty five, 35, shortest verse in the Bible. And Jesus, so was he depressed in soul? Yes, he was. His friend has passed away. But the Bible says when he saw the tomb, he was moved not in soul. Moved where? In spirit. The Bible says he groaned in spirit. It wasn't a grumble in the soul. It was a groan in the spirit. Too many people are grumbling in the soul. A grumble in the soul is a satanic counterfeit for a truly Holy Spirit-induced groan in the spirit. The Greek word for groan means, I will admonish you and charge you sternly. So where it says, Jesus groaned in his spirit, you know what he's saying? To the spirit of death. He's saying, I judge you already. I admonish you already. So now when I use the employment of words, and I say, Lazarus, come forth. Guess what? From which platform is he speaking? His soul or spirit? You see, you can't just, we're going to go into our prophetic conference, the decree of kings, say things, we're going to affirm things, we're going to pronounce things, but you can say things and nothing can happen because you're speaking from the wrong platform. If you speak out of the hurt of your soul, Nothing happens. But if you speak out of a word enriched, Holy Spirit enriched and full spirit, you can look even at death or anything in your environment that rivals and contradicts God's will in your sphere. And Mark 11 says you will have whatever you say. Right? But our souls, what you're speaking, grumble, offense, Murmur, debate, foolish jesting. Some of us can only joke and have nothing else to say. I guarantee you, you live there, no grace for you. You live there, no breakthrough. Now it's time to measure our words. Now it's time to, of all the tea, I've taught this. This stuff is not new that I'm saying today. If you access our teachings on the words of our mouth, I think there's about 15 sessions. Where painstakingly we went through every single verse. Yeah? So I want to encourage you. You see, the whole, the whole intent of impartation is this. Something is declared. Later on, I don't think I'll get to it today, right? Because of the way the meeting is going. But when we get to, everyone say pronouncement. pronouncement. When my father, the Lord says, I bless you. Hey, that's a big deal. If anything is a big deal to me. That's a very big deal to me. I don't take those words. Your lips drip with grace. And if you hear that, it's not just a directive. It's empowerment to do the thing. Yeah? Yeah? See, if I say to you, you must learn this. My heart overflows with the good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Verse 2. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured where? Come on. Principle of life is grace. It's poured out where? Upon your lips. Right? So when person employs the lips to speak, what is issued forth? Grace. Grace is poured forth from your, from your lips. 
So I want to encourage you with the same. Again, the whole intent of your reception of grace is so that you in your world can impart the same to your sphere of influence. This is like a download so that when you go into your sphere, go into the world, in your little area of influence, it is God's intent that with your lips, with your mouth, with your words, you're going to be an imparter of grace. Just quickly, I know we know these scriptures, but you know, Peter's talking to my mind here. Repeat, repeat, repeat until they be established. <laughs> Ephesians 4.29, quickly. Ephesians 4.29. Some of you might know this, but please bear with us. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Right? The word unwholesome is putrid in the Greek. Defiled. Right? Nonsense, nonsensical speech. Foolish talk. That should not proceed. Why? This mouth is the imparter of grace and life. How can you mix? How can you mix? Right? Oil and water don't mix. You must train yourself if you're going to be this imparter of life. If you're going to be the speaker forth of grace and alter states and alter environments, you have to give, bring curtailment to the measure and the quality of some of your conversations. You're going to have to do it. I don't know how many times God has spoken to us about this issue. Right? One day you will stand before death and you will try, let us come forth, and nothing's happening. But God says, but your whole life you've been gesturing. Now you want to employ the mouth for my purposes, but you've never dedicated the mouth to me. You never offered that part of your system, the mouth that I gave you, the speaking part of you. You've never dedicated that to me. That's not holy. Right? Your mouth must be holy. Your speech must be holy. Your talk must be holy. Amen. Right? Don't scandal of other people. Stop that nonsense. Tell you never stop that nonsense. If you have nothing to talk about, don't talk about anybody else. Simple. I'm serious because it's pointless having a prophetic conference about the decree of the king when the mouth of the king is defiled. Right? Bring purity to the mouth. Stop talking disparagingly about people. If you are going to talk, rather bless. If, a, if, if an issue of concern comes up in conversation, rather pray for the person. Right? But say we will not disparage. We will not uncover someone's nakedness in my lounge. That's not going to happen in this home. This home is holy ground. Right? I will not speak negatively. If, if, I can, if the issue comes up and it's not criticism, but it's concern because sometimes you have to address issues of concern. The tone and the quality of the speech must be redemptive. Okay? Must be restorative. Must be rehabilitative. It must be intent on rectifying and helping the situation. Right? Come on, everyone say impartations of grace. Right? But uh, if you're going to not speak unwholesome words, you see, proceed. The Bible says that... Um, uh, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that words proceed from his mouth. You know, the other day, yesterday, while Carol was speaking, a thought hit me. A thought was this. God is so uh, focused on the power of words, he actually called his son the word. Jesus is called what? Are words important to God? God gave his own son that descriptor. 
He's the eternal Logos. He's the Word of God. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that. So words proceed. They go out from you. Right? I was thinking of some of these things. A song was playing while Luke and I were driving here, and the thought gripped me again. That every act and every word is a seed. It will come back to you as a harvest. It's not going to come back to you as a seed. Because no seed, when it's sown, comes back only as seed. It comes back first as fruit containing more seed to generate more fruit. So the Lord said this to me, Randolph, everything will come back to you. Every, the Bible says men will give an account for every idle word they speak. The word idle there in the Greek is non-productive, counterproductive to the will of the Lord. Think about this, brethren. If you've, if you've forgotten everything I've said today, as you go out now and you're tempted to engage in unwholesome conversation, let the Holy Spirit remind you of this. Randolph said to me, I'm going to stand before God one day and I will give an account. The Bible says this in Matthew, for every idle word. The word idle means the word doesn't push purpose. There's no procession. Uh, it's unproductive. It's unfruitful counterproductive to God's purposes. You will give an account for that, right? But it says, but how must we speak? But only such a word as is good for what? Good for edification, according to the need of the the moment, so that it will give what? Come on, what is it going to give? As you receive grace from ministry from me, in your world when you speak, guess what? As you speak, what's going to transmit? Grace. That grace is going to be impartable then to a host of others so that 2 Corinthians 4 can come to pass and grace is spreading to more and more people everywhere. But this part of our of our constitution, David's constant prayer, Psalm 19, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight, not in men's sight. If God must test this, will it stand? Always ask, if God tests this conversation, will it stand? It's easy to bluff people, right? Acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my King and my Redeemer. My King and my Redeemer. Uh, The other one was Colossians 4.6, just quickly. Right? Colossians 4.6. Is everybody okay? Right? The Lord is speaking to us. Amen? I'm so glad that baby was found, that was hijacked. We got the news this morning. And it grieved Renee because, you know, it will grieve any mother, I think, more than men. Because of the whole maternal issue. Really grieved. And uh, every time we prayed, she would mention it. We pray, Lord, and she would practice this whole principle of speak. We speak life to the baby. We speak preservation. And, you know, when we got the news this morning, she rejoiced. She really rejoiced. Wow. Thank you, Lord, etc. God is good. Amen. That, dest- that baby of that destiny is a great one. Amen. So we're glad that. And uh, I really want to encourage you. Once Sean is done with us, I'm just preparing the context. When you stand and you see something challenging God's order or will or in your world, there's a time to pray, but there's a time to decree. Decree is not prayer. You're not asking for God 
Lord, do X, Y, Z. You're standing up as God's representation in kingly authority. And you're saying, I call that now. As God's agency in this realm, I say the baby will be found in Jesus' name. I authorize it. I legitimate it in the realm of the, in the, realm of the Spirit. Do you know most times when Jesus healed people, he never prayed? We pray. He just commanded the sickness. He took authority over the realm. Right? Right? He just said things. Right? He decreed realities. Abraham going up with Isaac on the mount. Isaac says, where's the sacrifice? The fire, the wood, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God, my lad, my son, the Lord himself will provide. Right? What is that? Authoritative decree. I'm not going to kill you, but my decree. You asked a valid question. If he was without faith, he would have said, hey, son, that's a tough one. In my heart, I know, God, you are the, the sacrifice. We're actually going up the mountain to kill you. Right? But what does a, a man of authority say? You're asking for the sacrifice. God himself will provide. Himself a lamb. Amen? The Shunammite woman. Carol Ann Renee referenced it yesterday. She's her son is dead. Hmm? Not so? Remember, she honored Elisha as her set man, as her father in the Lord. How did she honor her set man? Who knows? What did she do for Elisha? She built him a room where? Upstairs or downstairs? Did she make a loft or she make a basement? She put him on top of her. That means she honored him. She didn't put him below her in her mind. And you know, I like this woman because the Bible says she prepared a room. In other words, she made structural adjustments to existing house to build an extra room above her because the Bible says she looked at a window constantly and noticed from time to time Elisha would frequently pass through their town. She says, this is a man of God. What I'm going to do is bring structural adjustment to my personal domain to accommodate grace. And the grace you accommodate will be the grace that will be released to you. She did not put the grace below her. She put the grace above her because grace has a gravitational flow. It flows down. That's why you never, you always put your grace carrier and you hold the persons in high honor and esteem. It's not about deifying a man. It's about honoring the, the principle. He came to her. Well, he sent his servant. Ask the woman, what can we do for her? She's so kind. She's so good. She's so honorable. Her response is, I need nothing. I need nothing. So did she do that with ulterior motives? No. She wasn't doing it because she's personally concerned. I need my breakthrough. I need my financial breakthrough. Her honor was pure. It was no strings attached honor. Tell your neighbor, learn to offer no strings attached honor. Now, you know... You're not, you're not in it because you're worried about your kid's future. You're not in it because you're worried my needs must be met. Right? You're simply doing it to be obedient to God. Simple. But you know, being a prophet, he knew she was barren. What does he say? By this time next year. Like the angel said to Abraham in Genesis 18, almost identical words, by this time next year you will have a son. Right? You will have a son. Right? And the, the boy was born. And the boy was a teenager now. 
And I like this. It seemed like that throughout that time, Elijah, throughout all those years, kept coming to this house. So the honor wasn't fleeting or momentary. It was a state of a life. The boy is now a teenage boy, not so. Has a headache in the field. My head, my head, he says. Read the text. And he dies. Where does she take him? She takes him not to his own bed. <laughs> she takes him to the room she prepared for Elijah. And she puts him on the grace carrier's resting place. I love, you know, she's really honoring the principle. Then she sends messages out to Elisha. Right? When Elisha sees the messengers come, he realizes something is wrong. Sends Gehazi or somebody. Find out what's wrong with the lady. Ask her three questions. Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? And is it well with the boy? Because he saw, being a prophet. Her response is what? I love this. She says, no problem. It is well. What's talking there? Is soul talking or is spirit talking? What's talking? Soul is concerned. Soul is probably depressed. Soul is probably anxious about, I've just lost my boy. Right? But what, what, what do words of faith, words of authority, words of decree say? Right? It is, is well. The child dies, the Bible says. Elijah goes home and he lays on top of the boy. Right? Everyone say association. association. Dead things are going to come to life because of association. If you can line up your life with the grace carrier and lie face to face, whatever is in him will come to you. Amen. Dead things will come to life. I, that's why I follow my grace carrier so ardently. I will support him for anything he does if my means and time permits. I even adjust schedules because I realize, yeah, is a key to accessing what he has, I want. What he has, I, I want. I'm going to line up everything. Right? Whatever he has is going to flow into my life. Right? Who would like to work for stuff or like stuff imparted to you? Right? I'd like stuff imparted, right? And it's not about working and laboring. It's about simply Ralph's book. Position versus posture, it's simply about positioning yourself accurately in a matter. And things will simply come to you. And the Bible says, the son lives. Read the text carefully. It says, the child died, but the son lived. Immaturity died, but maturity was raised. Infancy died, but an adult mature state was risen. All because of what? There was the accommodation and the honor of what? The principle of grace in the house. Right? I'm trying to get things to you faster to you than you would ordinarily have achieved. Who wants things faster? I'm reminded of Sean's word on acceleration here. It's a powerful message that. Right? I want things to happen faster. So I want to encourage you simply position yourself in, re in honor. Watch the words of your mouth. Let's finish this one. Okay, we're all over the place today, right? I think this is the Lord. Colossians 4, 6 says this. Let your speech... So let me just finish this. She says, it is well. Let me ask you, is that statement, it is well, is it self-denial? Talk to me. That's not self... She's not denying the, the fact. The fact is it's not well, but the statement of authority is she realized... My domestic circumstances are out of sync with God's will for my life. 
You see, they're not going to come right out of an impartation of grace from my grace carrier. That's why she did not even bother with her husband. I get worried when I read that. Where's his husband? In all of the narrative, he's nowhere. He's like this absent father. But what was the key? If I can get my grace carrier here. So she ran to meet Elijah. If I can, if I can get the word, right? And the Bible says the son lived. The son lived. And by the way, what does Shuna mean? It was a Shunammite woman. What does the word Shuna mean? Double rest. Shuna means double rest. Twofold rest. Right? I believe God brought rest to a spirit and a soul eventually. Amen? The rest of the Lord. Twofold rest. Hallelujah. When the seven-year famine broke out, remember the seven-year famine? You know, a double portion of everything Elijah had, Elijah got. Even famines. <laughs> Elijah's famine only three and a half years, right? Remember three and a half years says, I have those. Elisha, seven years. <laughs> Everything doubles in <laughs> Good and bad. And you know, before the seven-year famine hit, who was the first one to be informed of the famine? This woman. Read the Bible. Who got the heads up? There's a famine about to... This woman. And what to do? Elisha gave her some advice. Right? He doesn't contact CNN. First to inform is, you will be the first to know of, of global events in this, in this because of the way you honor. You will be the first to be informed, and I will tell you what to do to escape the famine. Right? Go, I forget the people group he mentioned. Go to a certain people, he said, throughout all the years of the famine, and abide there. After it's finished, come back to your house. But now after you finished, after the seven years is up, and she came back to her house, Remember she approaching the king because she lost the land by this time, right? She was a farmer. And by all accounts, they were very, very successful and very prosperous. They seemed to be like multi-millionaires, these people, in their time. They lost everything after seven-year famine. And she approaches the king. Elisha now is dead. And who is talking to the king the moment she's approaching the king to request the land. Who is talking? Gehazi, who was a former servant of Elisha. Right? And the conversation between the two of them, the king is asking Gehazi, tell me about your master, Elisha. Tell me. Tell me. And of all the great things, the conversation go anywhere. I mean, Elisha performed twice the amount of miracles that Elijah did. Of all the great things, you know what Ghazi picks up on? He picks up on the Shunammite woman's story. He starts to relate to oh, this woman. And who comes walking at that time? Requesting a land back. I'm telling you, there's no coincidences in God. I want to encourage you, if you've been faithful, prepare yourself for divine appointments. Yes. Things that seemingly God's going to set things up, but because you've been faithful, uh, God will never suffer you to suffer shipwreck. God's going to preserve you. He will, he, will, he will orchestrate conversations in king's palaces just because of you. That's how faithful God is. And God says, God says oh yes, the woman here, by the way. And what, what the king said, king was so impressed by how she honored Elisha. King says, not only will I give you your land back, take your land, but all the harvest 
from seven years, you would have reaped if there were no famine. I will restore that back to you. Did the woman lose? No loss. I said, God, I want that kind of favor. I want that in my life. And you know, if you study the Shunammite woman, what is the major factor in her life? Her relationship to an Elisha that was able to impart grace to her. When I see Pastor Thamo, I'm not deifying a man. I know a principle. I'm not worshiping a man. I know God's word. I declare to you today, as you see, so walk in this truth. I declare to you today that in global economic famine, and by the way, brethren, it's sure to be the worst that the world has ever known. Listen to me. I'm not just saying that this is the consensus of global prophets and apostles. If you thought the last credit crunch was bad, Get ready for even worse times. The way world markets are going, world economies are going, everything is poised for collapse. Everything is destined. Right? But let me just say this. Famine in Israel's time was typical, typically equated to economic downturns, depressions, recessions. Same language. Right? But God promised, I will preserve my people in the time of famine. You know, the Shunammite woman was preserved. Was she preserved? Yes or no? Go, go back to Elijah's father in the Lord. Go back to Elijah. He was sent to a widow of Zarephath, remember? Right? In the three and a half, the three and a half year family that just broke. And was she preserved in three and a half years? Yes? But what was her first? What did Elijah say? Before you use that last oil, use the last oil and bake a cake for? He said, everyone say first. He says, first offered to me. There must be priority. He's not being, do you think he's being insensitive? He has a home, a widow, a little child. I'm taking their last uh, food from out of them. Do you think he's being insensitive? No, he's teaching a principle that if you honor, it's not me, if you honor the grace of God in me, your oil will not fail for the next three and a half years. Your meal will not fail for the next three and a half years. Famine can be in the whole of Israel, but famine's not in your house. And what was the difference? There was an impartation of grace from the man of God. And she literally gave he, her her first fruit. It was literally like a first fruit offering. Because typically when you give first fruit, you have nothing left. She says, we, you know, I, I like what she says. Okay, we give this to you, then we die. She says, we give it, then we die, right? We honor you, but, and he says, no, you will not die. Oh, by the way, did God command the woman to feed Elijah? Yes. When God sent Elijah to Zarephath, God told Elijah, There I have commanded a widow to feed you. So when he came and he said, What should she have said? She should have said first, I already know why you're here. The Lord God has informed me to feed you. But the Bible says, What was his first directive to her? Do not fear. He said to the woman, Do not fear. What was she bound by? Financial fear. In times of economic famine. Yes. Right? I want to encourage you, when, this, when the crisis financially hits, do not fear. But make sure you're part of another economy. Yes. It's called the grace economy of the kingdom of God. In which all sons of God will be preserved. I really believe this. I believe the best place to invest your money Amen. is in the kingdom of God. That's my honest view. Yes, have saving plans. 
We have retirement annuities, etc. But that's not going to... I have those. I have medical aid. We are wise as we function in, in this life. But I will not let that impact my first fruit. I will not let it impact my tithes. I will not let those commitments impact my... Uh, you know when you do that, what you're saying is, I, I'm placing trust in earthly systems for preservation at a later time in life. That's good and wise to do. But it mustn't be at the expense of your honoring the kingdom principles relative to the same issues. Yeah? Ecclesiastes says, give to seven and to eight. For you know not what disaster will come upon the earth. Sow your bread. Cross your bread upon the, the waters. And after many days, you will, you will find it. And God is saying that to givers. Go beyond. Give to seven. Give to perfection. And go beyond perfection in your giving. Giving to eight to start new beginnings. Because you don't know what disaster is coming upon the, upon the earth. Amen. So, um, there's a text in Matthew. I don't know where it's found. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said this to them. He said, there were many widows in Israel during the time of Elijah. Jesus talking. I'll share this with you via the WhatsApp group. There were many widows in Israel during the time of Elijah. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to the women of the house of Zarephath. Did, were there other widows during the three and a half year famine? I say to you in truth, there were many widows in, in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three, and, three years and six months, when a great famine came upon the land. Then it says this, Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except who? Only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. When I read this, all I can say to God is, thank God that this is not a widow's house, that we are fathered. You see, because what, what spirit does Elijah carry? The spirit of fathering. Who is it promised in Malachi 4 verse 5 and 6 that I will send back to the earth? I will send the spirit of Elijah and he will turn the father's Heart of the fathers to their sons, heart of the sons to their fathers. So I will not come and smite the earth with a curse. The curse works where the principle is not entrenched. There's a curse in all Israel. Famine, bad times everywhere. But this widow's house is preserved. Why? The Elijah, the principle has come to our house. The principle of fathering has come to our house and made her immune to the curse of famine. Right? When I read this, I... I lift my hands in thanks to the Father and I say, thank you that you have sent an Elijah to this house. Vested in the person of Pastor Thamo. Some of you might say, Randolph, you've been over the top with this. No, I'm on top of things. Absolutely. And if you see what I see, you will be preserved in your time of famine. Yeah? Amen? Are you glad we have an Elijah? Yes. In, in, in the person of Pastor Thamo, vested also in the person of myself as a father over you. I declare it as an affirmation in the spirit. When disaster hits this nation and the world in the years to come, I declare that you will not be affected. Amen. So long as you comply with the principles. Don't eat your first cake. Offer it. Don't keep back what is the Lord's. 
or the servants of the Lord's offer that. And God says, you will be preserved. I thank God and Elijah has been sent to this house. I declare it will be well with you. I declare you will not suffer loss. I declare even if your child dies, your son is going to live. It will die at one level, it will be raised at another level. What has died will not be raised as it died. What has died will be raised at the next level. Such is the power of the grace of God. When I, when I was thinking about this, the Lord said to me, your whole mission and, and vision for music and production died. But I will raise it up. I will not raise it as it died. I will raise it up as the child died, but the son must live. I will raise it up at the next level. Right? I'm saying this to you. Your child might have died, but your son is going to live. Interpret that however you want it. Your marriage died in its child, child state, but it's going to be raised in sonship maturity. Your destiny died as a child. It'll be raised as, as a son. You've lost money at child level. It's going to be raised at son level. Hear what he has a ear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to this church. Come on, tell your neighbor. Things will be raised not as they died. Come on, tell them they'll be raised at a higher level. Some of you have prophecies. Prophecies that have died. You've shelved it. You put it on the back burner. You're here today and you're hearing this word. I will encourage you. I am speaking life to you. I'm imparting grace to you. Uh, it will not be, you're not going to be worse off if you understand the principle. You can work for things or you can have things imparted to you. Things are impartable. Don't work something that can be imparted to you. Just position yourself accurately and receive the grace and let the Lord have His way. Amen. Let the Lord have His way. If I were you, I'd go home today and say, Lord, things that have died in its childhood state in my life, they're going to be raised up in, in, in mature, developed sonship state. You know, this morning, I got up with a thought. I got up with a thought this morning. I have, a, I have the, the notes in my, the actual text in my notes somewhere. I quickly inserted it into my notes. Who called his potential or his father in the Lord, my father, my father? Who, who said that? Come on, talk to me. You know the scriptures. Who said that? You don't know the scriptures. Who said that? Elisha said that to who? Elijah. Right? Before he was, he was taken up. Do you remember I said to you, Gehazi was relating the story to the king? One thing he referenced to the king about the disposition of Elisha was this. Elisha used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. What is that? What are the hands used for? The execution of tasks, the fulfillment of destiny. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. So whenever you see hands, you think does, doing. The right hand of the Lord does. So when Elisha is pouring water on, Elisha on Elijah's hands, it's not just to keep his hands clean every time his hands are dirty. Symbolically, the spiritual son is preparing his father so that his father can execute and do the will of God in his day. Right? The son is the facilitator of destiny in the father. Elijah keeps his father's hands clean. He helps wherever he can. So his father is unburdened so he can do, his father can do what he's called to do without being distracted by dirty hands. Yes, right? He who has an ear, 
Today let him hear what the Spirit says to you about that. What ways can you wash your father's hands? Right? And so, was Elisha postured in servitude towards Elijah? Yes or no? Yes, he was. Was there to help, right? In fact, the Bible says, you know when he was called and Elijah saw him and threw his coat over him? And he left his oxen and he kissed his mother and father goodbye? Right? The Bible says, the very next verse says, and Elisha became his minister. His deacon, literally. Right? His aide. Right? He never let him out of his sight. Oh yes, yeah, 2 Kings 2.12. What was the proviso that you will get double portion? If you see me when I am taken up, you can get what I've got. Right? And I shared a whole uh, set of principles with you about keeping sight of your spiritual father. If you can have sight, you can get what he got. So the, when this happened, he's taken up Elijah, right? And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father! My father! This is a cry of a man desperate for whatever his father got. I'm going to pursue that. This is the last time I'm going to see you. And you said, if I see you as you take... And he cries. It's, it's like, a, like a decree. My father, my father. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. What he was saying is, you as a father give momentum. Chariots is the fastest mode of transport in that day. Fastest means of stuff moving, was it? He says, you father are the principle that gives movement and momentum to the purposes of God vested in Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took off his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. And he had the mantle of Elisha. Did Elisha get double portion? Yes. Did Elisha get double portion? He did. And then, who else said these words? My father, my father. King Joash. Now, 2 Kings 13, quickly, we'll finish off with this. 2 Kings 13 and verse 14. 2 Kings 13 and verse 14. When Elisha became sick with the illness wherewith he was to die. Just stop there. How did Elisha die? Elisha died from an illness. Sometimes God doesn't heal. Some sicknesses are unto death. You've got to discern it. Was it Paul who said concerning someone, Miletus or Eutychus or somebody, Erastus, I can't remember. One of the guys who says, have I left at Miletus sick? Paul left a son sick. You say, but Paul, we're called to divine healing. You're an apostle. Surely you can heal. He said, no, I left him sick. And I went. Right? So I'll just, I just needed to say that for some people that are battling. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Does what he wants to when he wants to. Was Elijah, I mean, could not the people have said, you perform twice the amount of miracles as your father did? So many miracles, you can't heal yourself. You seek unto death. What did they say to Jesus? Physician, you've healed others, but you can't heal your, yourself. And watch, I'm going to close with this. Joash, uh, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him. And what did Joash say to Elisha? My, you see, Elisha cried. But Joash said, this is not the same degree of passion that Elisha had for Elijah. You know why? I believe his kingship got to him. I'm the king. You're my servant. 
Elisha, on the other hand, adopted a servant and he elevated the other. The Joash didn't get double portion, but Elisha got double portion. Both men are saying the same thing. My father, my father. And I hear people saying all the time, Pastor Thamo's my father, Reno's my father. And it's very few that are walking in the same degree of grace and anointing. Right? And God said this to me because people have not adopted the disposition of washing the hands, facilitating the purpose, right? dying to your own destiny, fulfilling the destiny vested within the Father, doing everything you have, you can in your power to, to push the purposes of God. I don't have time. We'll pick this up next week. But if you read, please, I want to encourage you to read 2 Kings 13 onwards. The whole chapter, before this and after this. See the context around this. See how King Joash potentially could have had four times what Elijah had. Because if double portion went to Elisha, this guy was poised to receive this incremental compounded anointing. And he even after Elisha instructs him and his deathbed to do certain things, he does it half-heartedly. And the Bible says, and Elisha became angry with him. Although he's saying, my father, my father, the father is angry with the son. Elisha died an angry man with this potential son. Because if you looked, remember he said, uh, strike the arrows on the, on the ground. And he only struck them, was it three times? Elisha says, and he became angry with him. He said, you should have struck it five or six times. For now you will only defeat the, the, the enemy three times. Right? Partial victory. I declare your days of partial victory are over. Amen. Tell you never get the principle. Catch the principle. So that your life can change. I don't want anything from any of you. I'm trying to get much to you. I don't know why God works like this. But He does. It's a very simple thing. Who's ready for waves of impartation? I'm saying, God, every time I engage grace carriers, especially my Father in the Lord, Hey, I'm going to observe every possible principle in marriage. I will honor him. I will never speak badly about him, think negatively about him. I will wash his hands. If he has a purpose, I'll be right there behind him. I'll be at all of his meetings. I'll push purpose. I will support. I will do everything in my power so that at a set time, when God desires to give me more, he's saying you've sufficiently. By the way, Elijah followed Elijah for how many years? They say about 20 years, 6 to 20 years. Right? This, I, I see people say, stand up, I pray for double portion. Double portion does not happen by laying on of hands. It doesn't happen that way. It happens by longevity. It happens by painstaking doggedness over a period of time doing the same thing unaltering. You, you see, you want this Elisha thing? It doesn't come easy. It's going to require everything from you. Sam Salun said, growth in God is an aggressive deliberate, conscious, and visible pursuit. He said this, maturity in God is not a fluke. Growth in God is not a fluke. He said it's the result of a conscious, deliberate, aggressive, and visible pursuit. You've got to be serious. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Come on, who's at a new place of seriousness? Again, do not say these things for my own benefit. Say these things because I love you.
And I want to see you break through and go to the next level in God. You must leave with this thought. Blessings are impartable to me. Grace is impartable. Peace is impartable. Mercy is impartable. Gifts are impartable. I'll show all the scriptures next week. Healing, life, uh, anointing and grace in my Father is, can be given to me. It's given as a gift. The word didomai means to give as a gift. Something you don't really work for. Just position yourself for and you'll be granted. It will be granted to you. Amen. Come on, lift your hands. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. I bless you, God. We're expecting great things. Great, phenomenal things. We ask that you cleanse the words of our mouth. We ask that may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Forgive us from unwholesome speech. Forgive us from foolish jesting, scandalous talk, deriding conversations, untempered speech, unmeasured words, thoughtless, callous speaking. Take the coals from off your altar like you did with Isaiah in Isaiah 6 and cleanse our lips. Cleanse our lips for our eyes have seen the King. Cleanse our lips. When we open these words, our lips of these mouths will drip grace. We will start to command and decree things in our realm and we will see results. Father, I thank you. We will see results in the name of the Lord. I thank you that this family and Elisha has been sent to this Zarephath. There might be many widows, many households, but we feel privileged that you've, the sin dynamic has come to this house. I decree all of us will be preserved in the coming days of famine economically. It can be famine everywhere, but I decree famine will not come to my house. Famine will not come to my children's homes, my children's destinies. We will not be victims of the next wave of economic disaster as you deal with the earth, God in ways that you see fit. I thank you like you preserved the widow of Zarephath, like you preserved the Shunammite for the seven-year famine. I thank you. You will preserve us in the name of the Lord. Help us to position the Elisha principle above us, to build our love, to adjust our thought mentalities, to bring adjustment to our thinking, to, to hold in high honor and esteem those through whom the corporeal principle you've chosen to stand in and to be real to us in and through them. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. I pray great blessing upon every single one. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord lift up the light of His countenance. And may the Lord shine upon you. May the Lord preserve your coming in and your going out from this day forth even to evermore. I decree no ill shall befall you. No accidents. No house breakings. The protection of the Lord will be your portion. From this day forward, even unto forevermore. I speak the pavilion of the Lord round about you, your property, your assets. In the name of the Lord, I commission angels of the Lord even now. Your word decrees, Lord. You give your angels charge concerning us. So I pray they will be commissioned and intensified even now in the name of the Lord. Our only desire is to do your will, Father. So God, we submit ourselves to these processes. In Jesus' name, we bless you and we honor you as our God and King. Amen. Amen.